Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Glad you're with us, and just like that, hour number two is here, Outkick 360, Tuesday edition. And Chad, after the show today, we are we are headed headed west, headed to the desert. A pretty big game on Sunday between the Eagles and Chiefs. The show is rolling. We will not be rolling towards Arizona. We'll be flying to Arizona Thankfully. later after the show. And uh, looking forward to a, a great Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of coverage. And probably some things that could uh, bleed over into next week as well as we're going to be on Radio Row in Phoenix. And uh, Hutton, this is my third trip to Phoenix Same for a Super Bowl. Same. So we're very familiar with the terrain at this point. No doubt. Uh, We've got Trey Wallace. We'll talk some SEC headlines coming up in about uh, 20 minutes or so. But we lead off the hour uh, with one of our favorites, Chad. Oh, absolutely. Over the years here in Nashville. But uh, a longtime defensive line coach across the NFL. Jim Washburn joins us on Outkick 360. His son, Jeremiah, on the staff uh, that is doing great things for Philadelphia. Jeremiah coaching in the Super Bowl this Sunday after a a long career on the offensive side. He's now coaching the defensive side. And he's been on that defensive line coaching that group with 78 sacks and putting on a show in the in the backfield and giving quarterbacks all kinds of hell. Coach Washburn, great to have you on, and I'm sure you're super proud of the work that Jeremiah's done. How are you? Hey, Jason. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Chad. How you guys doing? We doing, doing great. Thanks for hopping on with us, Coach. We are excellent. Is uh is your son in charge of putting that pass rush plan in, in to action? Yeah, he is. Jeremiah's uh, oldest son, and and uh, yeah, he uh. He he's in charge of the pass rush plan. He puts it in every Thursday, and and uh, they've just done an incredible job. You know, when I got in the league, I, I got into with the Titans at ninety nine, and the first thing I did after I signed the contract is looked up to see what the franchise record was in sacks. And uh, I thought, okay, you know, and we broke it the first two years. And then I looked farther. I said, what's the all-time sack record in the NFL? And it went to the 84, 85 Bears. And I went, well, forget that one. That'll never happen. (laughs) That's one of those unreachable deals. And a matter of fact, I was coaching South Carolina in those years. And uh, I went up and visited the defensive line coach at the Bears, Dale Haup, H-A-U-P-T, and a great one. And and I I was just shocked. So, anyway, I was always – I always chased sacks. I thought it was the – I thought if you could knock down the quarterback, you'd always have a job or you'd always make some money. But uh, I never, ever dreamed that anybody would reach that. And uh, anyway, it's an incredible year they've had. What made him swap? He, he was on the offensive side coaching. And it, what, why is he now on the defensive side? And I'm sure it definitely helps with what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, he just uh, switched over. and He went up there and, and he worked in he was in between jobs. He's at, when Gase got fired at uh, Miami, he was the offensive line coach. And I don't know, he, it was like a musical chair. Sometimes you get left out without a chair. And so he went up there to personnel and work with Howie. 
and then he got back on the field and uh he he loves it and i think he has a unique i don't think i know he has a unique perspective of things and you know we've talked pass rush for we coached together at miami and detroit while i was defensive line he was offensive line and and uh we've talked about it for years and years pass rush so i think he has a real unique perspective when did you know that Jeremiah was going to be a coach? Is this something you could tell early on, or when did you truly know this was going to be a, a path he was taking that was the same as yours? Oh, I got kicked out of coaching a long time ago. Anyway, I got was at South Carolina. I got in trouble, and I couldn't get a job. So I coached a minor league football team in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jeremiah was maybe 13 or 14. And we were sort of, uh, I was radioactive, but I got a job coaching a minor league football team and we, we bust all over the East coast and we had a really good team, but he went with us on a lot of things we did. He, he just, I think that was the time he just fell in love with football and, you know, uh, thank you, Lord, that I got back into coaching again, you know, coaching that actually pays. And, um, (laughs) I think he fell in love with football that year, you know, he did. Jim Washburn with us. Uh, what, what's not to like about this defensive front coach for, for Philly uh, with Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham, who you know well. I know you coached him for a year. And Hassan Reddick yeah, is putting yeah, up massive yeah. numbers. And they've got some up-and-comers, too, that are, are, are very impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> they can say what they want. You know, if you don't have the players, then it doesn't matter. You know, you can coach, you can be the best pass rush coach on the planet, but if you don't have players, and I can tell you this, I told Jeremiah, uh, you know, I asked him how many years you got on your contract, and he told me, and I said, you know, I would really think twice before I'd ever leave Howie Roseman. And when I was up there, we led the league in sacks my first year up there, and and, and Jeffrey Lurie's got a penchant for sacks too. I mean, he's, you know, he, he really likes sacks. I mean, that's a big deal to him. And, um, and, and then Howie is, is obsessed with sacks and, uh, he's going to have a pass rush and he's going to, you know, there's a bunch of great coaches and pass rush coaches and coaches in general that, that never have the opportunity because, you know, because they don't have the players, but Howie's going to get them and especially brushers, but he's got, uh, I'm telling you what now, maybe Josh sweat. I work with, I work with them. I work with the Eagles years ago out in texas for a week and josh sweat's different he was the number one player in the country coming out in high school and he tore up his uh knee and you know other than that you know he still wears the brace but he has got he's like wolverine or something he's got some unique stuff he's got a little bit of javon curse as far as jumping off the ball and then brandon graham's uh coach played for 12 years and never got double digits till jeremiah coached him this year He's a steady, tough, good rusher. And then uh, Hassan Redding, my goodness, he just had a freako year, you know, and, and uh, he can go now. He what? can really go. And then they've got an inside rusher named Javon Hargrave, who is in the top five inside rushers in football. And he was a, he was a guy when I was at Dolphins, we looked at coming out of uh, South Carolina State. And uh, really liked him. He's undersized, real small, but he's just got his hands and feet work together so well. I mean, he's a real passionate. They got four for the first time in NFL history that ever went double digits. Reddick is interesting. I mean, 
every every team has their own methods. And uh, look, I, I describe it as good or bad. But Reddick was out of position, wasn't he? He's finally playing his natural position in Philly. Yeah, I mean, I think the he played for Carolina and had double digits and you know ten or eleven something like that with two different teams. But the Cardinals had him playing inside linebacker. You know, you know, you remember Cameron White, Cam White. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I coached him, and, and, and I almost had him as the Titans, but this uh, doofus personnel guy we got cut me down on him, or we would have had him for like a million a year when he came out of Canada. But uh, guys, you know, kept us from getting him. But he was the stand-up inside linebacker at, at uh, Penn State. So there's guys out there, especially edge guys, don't have to be, you know, huge anymore. Just got to be athletic and be able to move. And, and uh, anyway – he reminds me a lot. He reminds me a lot of Cam. Jim Washburn, our guest on Outkick 360. Uh, Coach, does Jeremiah use the same uh, methods that you did where you put the money, the, the massive salaries on the on the dry erase board in the meeting rooms to motivate your guys? Uh, I don't know. I did anything it took. But, uh, yeah, it, they, you spell sacks with uh, two dollar signs. So starts with a dollar sign, ends with a dollar sign. Yeah, we did all that. I, I think that uh, I think that one thing that gives Jeremiah, you know, I'm proud of all my kids, but it gives gives him a leg up as East Coast offensive line. And I think the way he's come up with the pass rush plan, it isn't four guys just going crazy uh, and rushing. You know, it's it's a it's a team slash group rush, and it's patterns, it's rush patterns, and you've got to know where the center's going and. Matter of fact, the defensive tackles are in. So got to look up and see where the receivers are, and therefore, if they can see where the receivers are, whether if it's three by one or two by two or whatever, they try to find the true slot and know. And Mike protection, which is the uh, most prevalent protection in the NFL, that the center's going to the nickel, and the nickel always goes to the slot. So that helps them because when the, whichever way the center slides. Is zone zone blocking and away from it's man. So they they have to know all these things and and uh, you know being an offensive line coach, I think it really makes a difference. His uh, his scouting reports on each uh, report on each offensive lineman is really thorough and it's from the eyes of uh, offense and defensive lineman. So I, he gives them a whole you know the, the currency in the NFL for a player is information that he can actually use, not not a playbook with all these percentages and everything but any information a guy can use to win you know is currency in the nfl and they you know they don't they're playing the run to inconvenience but rushing the passers where they all perk up and listen and he gives them you know he gives them a lot of coaches do but he gives them a lot of inside information and tips as far as a, if a guard's got his hands low or high or if he absorbs or punches or short short sets or deep sets and so anyway it's um, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, studying pass rush. What's Sunday going to be like for you? How are you going to watch the game? Mm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in the stands. So I hate okay, it. Okay, good. I'm gonna be there. So I can't, I can't run it back. And I usually, you know, sit there and run it back, take notes, and send Jeremiah notes at halftime. So <laughs> anyway, I'll just be up there with the rest of the people. So. I went to. Uh, I've had some leg problems, and I hadn't been able to go to many games right. in the last two years. So, uh, went last week, and it was it was fun sitting there. So, 
can't see the game as well, but yeah, you, you anyway, said you, I, I think it's gonna be a good game. Yeah, you said you hated it. You hate it. Is, is it because you like to be at home where you can run it back and and watch and and see the game better? Yeah, I mean, I've been. Uh, yeah, I can. I go back and forth. I used to have players that I worked in the off season. I, had, I must have worked sixty, seventy defensive pass rushers in the last three years in D one and Franklin. I would do that and different ones. I would watch their first half of the game when I retired, and then I would send them notes at half, send them texts at halftime, and, and things like that. And I, I enjoy that part. You just really can't see much sitting in the stands. I watched the big screen last week, so. Anyway, it's exciting. I think it ought to be a good game. Watch how much Are you it, guys pumped about going out. Oh yeah, uh, we love going out this week. You kidding me? It's a it's a blast. It's a great time. Uh, you know, you got the car wash of people that'll come by on Radio Row, but um, when it actually gets up towards game day and we get to talk a little ball, that's what makes it fun. How much of the of the ankle injury oh, do that. you think plays a factor for Mahomes in the pocket right now? I don't know. If you talk about it. Marvel character, that's him. He's he's unbelievable. He must be tough as you know what. He, yeah. He, uh, I think it's got to play. Uh, when McNair was hurt and had an ankle, and we were playing uh, up there in, in in Indianapolis. The great the great offensive the great defensive line coach John Tierlink set up traps to trap McNair. And I'll never forget one of his pass rushes. Four man rush was called Coffee House. And he uh, lured McNair to escape from his right because there was nobody out there. And it looked like it was just plenty of room. But Dwight Freeney was running a big fish hook on the backside coming like a freight train. And he stripped McNair two fumbles because McNair couldn't run. So they baited him to drift to his right when he knew he couldn't scramble. And they got him from behind. And it was enough to win the game. It was a brilliant thing by Tierling. But so I, I was asking Jeremiah, is, is they going to set up some traps to lure him to go one way? And, you know, heck, he's just afraid to because the guy's just so good. <laughs> he is. It's, a, it's, it's, about a, ru- it's about rush patterns. He's a magician. You know, it's a magic show for him. He is. I'm glad I never had to coach against that guy. <laughs> <laughs> we had our own problems with we had our own problems with different quarterbacks, but he, he's something else. He's special. Wash, we, we were we yeah. opened the show by discussing the the era of the the Ravens. We were watching the thirty for thirty on the Ravens, and and the Titans are heavily fi- uh, fe- featured in that. We were Chad and I just said we just missed that era. True uh, true hatred amongst yeah, rivals, no that doubt. you could sense. Yeah, and, and watching and that documentary between the Ravens and the, the Titans. Truth. Yeah, and and everyone loved, everyone loves everyone now. Buck, Wash, Buck Phillip, Buck Phillip, Phillip. Is that the? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Brian, Brian Billick. Billick. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's it. Well, Again, Billick. the hatred is is weird yeah. uh, and 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 real. I, I should I, say. One of my last my last year in college football, he came to talk at our staff at University of Houston. Billick did. So I sat in the back of the room. He was just talking to our offense, and I sat in the back of the room and took notes on everything he ever said. And I'll never forget, he said, if there's a sack in a series, you just lessen your chance of scoring by 47%. And I'll never forget him saying that. So, anyway. Wow. They got the best of us in those years, and they were, they were awful good. Jim Washburn, same for same for Coach Wash, awful good. And uh, always welcome on this show. Love having you on, Wash. Hope everything's going well. And 
Congrats on, uh, on on Jeremiah's success. This is really cool. And uh, the pass rush has been phenomenal with him being a part of that coaching staff up front. So can't wait to see what they're able to do against the Chiefs on Sunday. Well, they're going to need to have – they're going to need to have a really good rush. And, and um, hey, you know what? You guys have done great with your show and how, how, how it's gone nationwide. And, and uh, you guys have done great. And I just uh, – God bless you all. Wish you continued success. Same to you, Wash. Thank you, man. Thank really you, Coach. Appreciate, appreciate you. you. Got to see him soon. Uh, you bet. Yeah. Bet. Jim Washburn has been our guest. Uh, even better in person with some of the stories. Uh, and it's a solid dude. Well, he's uh, certainly NFL off-season time. If we can get him in person, yeah. in studio here, he's a guy you let breathe because you can just say a player like Albert Hainsworth. Or just say Brian Billick. Or Brian Billick. And he's – I mean, that, that was – Incredible. He could go back to his college coaching days that Brian Billick spoke to his Houston team and he had that line. He remembers he remembers taking that note that what Brian Billick told him and they would one day become rivals. But some of his stories about the players he's coached and still the connection he has with those guys years later is really incredible. Coming up, Trey Wallace is going to join us from Outkick. Uh, when we come back, we'll lead with uh, Nick Sirianni, his answer about is this a, a must-win game and Brandon Ayu, wide receiver for the 49ers, says the Eagles got lucky. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Our location. Outkick 360. Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Trey Wallace from Outkick.com joins us in a matter of minutes. Um, had media day, opening night, as they call it now, uh, for the Super Bowl out in Phoenix. And Nick Sirianni, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, was asked if this is a must-win game for Philly. Must-win game. Yeah. Must-win game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Must-win game. Yeah. Yeah, it's a must-win game. Uh, pretty easily stated there. Uh, that's the worst question we heard. What a what a question! Must-win game. Yeah, it's a Super Bowl. Yep, that's that's how it. that's how we're viewing it. We're going in as a must-win. <laughs> uh, pretty pretty simple. Uh, 49ers uh, wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. He says that the uh, <laughs> if he were sliding all the chips to the middle of the table, he would take Kansas City because the Eagles just got lucky. Yeah, hypothetically speaking, if I were going to bet on this game, I was going to take everything that I own, get it in cash, and put my money on Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> like I said, I'm not going to talk about Philly, but I'm not going to say nothing because, like I said, I know when I, I don't want you to. I don't want I was, you to get when, I was I was talking <laughs> when 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 we when I was talking to, to Cowboys players who were talking about us. Look at me. I'm sitting. I'm sitting on the couch. I had no room to talk about nobody playing next week. So. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I can't say nothing. <laughs> but like I said, I got the Kings. I got I got the Chiefs. I think uh they got their hands full. I don't know. I don't know um fully about that defense. Um, I don't know. I, they talk about them being a good defense. I'm not too sure. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think. The, I think the pass game 
um, this Kansas City pass game will uh, expose what we thought we were going to be able to expose um, before some unfortunate circumstances happen. So we'll see. So that's Brandon Ayuk on on his uh, TikTok account there on the podcast. But the so at least he had the presence of mind to say, "Hey, I'm on the couch. I can't say anything about these two teams playing." But here's what I think. But I mean, what he's acknowledging is their path to the Super Bowl has been extremely fortunate. Oh yeah. Considering even in the NFC Championship game, the quarterback injuries, you know, to where they had to go back to Purdy, even though Purdy couldn't attempt a forward pass. So I understand where he's coming from. Yeah, and the Eagles shouldn't apologize for that. You know, no. they, they knock guys out with their defense. So I still uh, thought Philly was going to win that game as the uh, as the game yeah. started. And look, I get Brandon Ayuk being frustrated, not wanting to. You know, yeah, that's frustrating. They didn't have a legitimate chance in the game because of what happened on the first series to their starting quarterback. So I get some of that frustration leaking out, and maybe he truly believes that that Kansas City's better too. Trey Wallace joins us from Outkick.com. He covers the SEC and college sports for the site. Trey, hope you're doing well. Hey guys, hope y'all are uh, hope y'all are good. Crazy week, uh, crazy week ahead, and uh, happy to join you guys. Brandon Ayuk is is making more than Jaden Rashada was going to at Florida, not by much, but yeah, I mean, if, if Rashada was going to put his 500k. Uh, signing bonus guarantee on the table on the Chiefs. That'd be uh, quite the bet to place based on the details that were released. Isn't that crazy, guys? I mean, you we knew about you know the 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 amount that it was going to be thirteen point eight five million dollars over four years, but it's wild when you break it down. The five hundred thousand dollar payment up front, uh, which is a signing bonus, by the way, uh, and then you break it down to monthly. Where this guy was, you know, this young man making over $200,000 a month, and that's increases by year. So there was a point where he could make, I think it was $350,000 a month while being on campus, you know, in, in Gainesville. And it just, it blows my mind when you look at these contracts. And 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 look, I've, I've heard figures out there for different athletes, but it didn't have to get this far. With Florida, and I think that is the one thing that that they're going to regret the the Gator Collective and the booster that was involved is they they embarrassed themselves and they made it even worse with this contract. Like some folks like to give out contracts, like show the contracts to writers where they can, you know, it, it makes themselves look good. You know, you're proud. But then with Florida, it's like you put together this contract, and not Florida, the university. I'm talking about the lawyer behind the scenes. I'm talking about the booster behind the scenes and the Gator collected that they put together this contract that thought it would look good. And in the end, it just makes them look stupid. It makes them look bad. So it was very, this whole last month has been wild. And the fact that, you know, I've talked to a couple of people that NIL money at Arizona state, nothing like he would have received at Florida. Um, even if we, even when they were going to renegotiate his contract. Yeah, and Trey, the fact that he didn't just go somewhere else and get that amount of money after they uh, negated the contract at Florida, does this in a weird way sort of help correct the market a, b a bit now that this is so public I, I, with those numbers and those numbers not being fulfilled by Florida to where now the contracts will be a little bit more in reason with NIL when guys come out of high school and, and go play in college? Chad, I think it does. I, I think when you, you know... 
there's the $8 million kid out there who a lot of reports are stating that that's Nico uh, at, at Tennessee. Um, I, I think when you look at the different structure of how NIL deals are, whether that's cars, whether that's, you know, you're, you're getting your, your rent paid for your different cash payments. And I'm not talking about like cash payments in a, a duffel bag or a paper bag, like it's different now. And I think we're seeing when it comes to, and it's not just high school, like the high school market is one thing, Chad, but then I'm also talking about the transfer portal market where players that are established, I could see making Good money, not like that, but good money. Like Jordan Addison, let's say, you know, USC, you know, right when he signed with them after leaving Pittsburgh, you know, he comes out with a bunch of different NIL deals. Uh, I think United Airlines was was one of them. We all remember the pick on the runway, but he made good money at USC and he made good money because he had already proven himself. I think where it kind of shifts back in the kind of the way you're talking about is these high school kids making this amount of money because there's no reason, in my opinion, that a young man should be making over $260,000 a month and you have not thrown a pass in a competitive football game. Uh, I'm not talking about spring practice. I'm not talking about a spring game. I'm talking about lining up under center and going up against an SEC team. Go prove yourself. So it, it's it's a little bit like a, a glare on college football. but. Chad, I do think that they're going to kind of wrangle this back in a little bit, and you can see where the market was, but I feel like this was also one-off because you had a Miami booster and you had a Florida booster, and they were getting into a pissing contest with each other, and finally the Florida booster said, well, you know what? I'm going to outbid for you. I'm going to get Jaden Rashada. Well, when it came time for that booster to say, okay, here's your money, he backed out. And that's where it gets to a point where we have to wonder, okay, who do we let in the inner circles? Who do we trust to give this type of money? I think in this situation with Florida, it's a little different than others, but I agree with you, Chad. I think it resets the market a little bit of what we look at just because it was so ludicrous. Trey, what do you think of the Tommy Reese hire at Alabama as their new offensive coordinator? And does it even matter at Alabama with their players and what we've seen with the amount of offensive coordinators that have rolled through that program. You know, I was, I was talking with a couple of coaches down at the senior bowl last week. And, and what they had told me at, about Tommy Reese is it doesn't matter really who the offensive coordinator is, as long as you are good enough. And I'm talking about that, that lane, that Steve Sarkeesian, Tommy Reese knows what he's doing. He, he, he did it at Notre Dame. Uh, maybe that the numbers everybody was excited about, but he did it in Notre Dame. You're going down there and you're running what Nick Saban wants you to run. Now you can throw your little, you know, uh, ticky tacks in there, your plays, maybe change things up just a little bit, but you're going down there and what Nick Saban wants you to run, whether that's power eye, whether that's flanking out three wide receivers, it doesn't matter. Nick Saban already has a system in place at Alabama for his offense. Now I think you're going to see, maybe some more power running from Alabama, I think, under this Tommy Reese offense, because I think Nick Saban, with the class that they have and the players that they're returning, that would be a smart move by them. But I also look at it in the sense of it, he could have gone out and and hired Dan Mullen or, or anybody else you can think of. It was always still going to be in that meeting room. Okay, 
this is what I want on offense. This helps us out in both ways on defense as well. So go do it. You can throw some wrinkles in there, but go do it. So I I like the hire. Um, it probably could have gone out and, and gotten somebody a little different. They were turned down by Ryan Grubb from Washington. Um, so I'm interested to see how this plays out over the next couple months before spring practice in Tuscaloosa. And Kevin Steele as defensive coordinator, to me, just makes a lot of sense. And Trey, what does it also tell us about the hireability right now of Jeremy Pruitt or lack thereof? Uh, first on Kevin Steele, I think that it, Nick Saban wanted somebody he was familiar with. Uh, wanted somebody that knows he can come in, is going to run the defense that he wants him to run, knows the system, knows the play calls. That's what Kevin Steele does. It might not be a sexy hire to folks down in Alabama, but he'll at least come in there and run what Saban wants him to run. He'll run a good defense. He can go out and recruit. Um, I think that with the players that they have, I think it kind of helps. You know, it's hard comparing numbers like what Miami did last year. It's like, ah, that's pretty hard to do. Go back and look when he was an Auburn defensive coordinator. Um, I, I mean, I'm sorry, defensive coordinator. I feel like right now, Alabama fans are like, okay, these are some interesting hires. Why is it happening? This is not like normal where we go get the real hot shot. Um, but you weren't going to hire Jeremy Pruitt. Okay. I, I think for a little bit there, Nick Saban was, was pressing that issue. Um, but it wasn't going to happen. Nick Saban was, would have had to gone in front of the NCAA, the SEC, made a case for why Jeremy Pruitt should be on his staff. And you know what? It's just not worth it because he's not hireable right now. Um, everything that he had did and done at Tennessee, it's going to play out over the next, uh, in my opinion, five, six months when it comes to what a potential show cause could be. And then there could be litigation but there, there was there was nothing he could say to Greg Sankey, in my opinion, that would have been like, okay, well, yeah, you can, you can bring him in. That's fine. He can be your defensive coordinator. He can go on the road and recruit. Well, a lot of his stuff came from recruiting violations. So it wasn't going to happen with Jeremy Pruitt. A lot of Alabama fans got upset about it. But what Nate Saban did was he went down and got like the older Jeremy Pruitt, who already knew the system, and he's going to do the same thing that Pruitt would have done. Are you surprised that we haven't seen uh, among the offseason headlines in Bama, Trey, quarterback edition as a, as a part of this? And, and uh, is what they have who they're going with? Or are we going to see something after the spring? Like, what, what, are you, what are you hearing? What do you know? Yeah, and, and <laughs> talk with a couple of folks, you know, during that process, during that, that transfer portal process. And when Alabama did not get a quarterback, you're like, okay, all right, this is interesting. Uh, we're we're putting all of our money on Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. Um, I, I I think that you know some folks think that they're going to go get a quarterback after the spring uh, is over during that period. I think that could happen. Um, let's not forget, you know, Nick Saban does go out and get graduate transfers, transfer portal guys. Um, that can fit his system. You look at running back last year. They had a hole to fill at running back. What did he do? He went out, got Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech. I feel like right now that they've got to see what they've got in the spring practice with Simpson or, or Milrow or anybody else on that roster and see if they can put something together. If not, then yes, I think the transfer portal period that opens up, I, I think that they go out and they try to find somebody um, that can run the system, you know, like a Bryce Young or a Tua or a Jalen Hurts. And I just don't know if they have that on that roster right now. So uh, let's talk a little SEC basketball right now. 
Tennessee and yeah. Auburn played an absolute rock fight on Saturday, 46 to 43. Um, Tennessee has hit a, a, a part right now in their schedule where they just simply cannot score these last two games. But, Trey, I've seen this team score before we saw it against Texas the, the week before. Do you think this is indicative of what's to come for this team in March? Or is this just something that happens over the course of a long season where they've hit a tough little stretch and that they're eventually going to come out of it offensively because the one constant they've had all year is their defense? I mean, it's scaring everybody that wears orange wherever they go. All Tennessee fans looking at the offensive production right now. Uh, I mean, defense is good. I mean, even what they did against Kentucky, that was good defense. Um, the Auburn, the way that they shot, you know, but Tennessee was putting a lot of pressure on the ball. So I, it, it's hard because Tennessee goes on these dry spells. And you saw it down in Gainesville where Florida went on two different runs that were like 17 to two, you know, and, and Tennessee was caught in a situation where they're having to try to stop the bleeding. Okay, well, if you're cold, from behind the arc, or you're not getting anything from the post from Euros or Olivier, you're kind of screwed because there's only so much Zakai Ziggler. You know, if Tyreek Key is not hitting some shots, you know, and, and they've locked down the post, it's difficult for Tennessee, but they fall back on their defense. So when you, and it's perfect example was the Auburn game. Yeah, the offense wasn't flowing, but you locked down, you ended up winning the game, and, you know, you get out of there with an SEC win. I, I think that when it comes time for March, you just, if you're a Tennessee fan, you just have to pray that you don't go on a dry spell like you've done in previous matchups. I, I think that's the key thing here. You you can't abandon what you're doing down in the post to try to get somebody hot outside the arc, like Santi or, you know, whether that be Zakai, um, you know, and in, in, in what they're getting from Julian Phillips. And, you know, I, I feel like this squad is good enough but also, it also lingers in the back of my head where we've seen this team go on droughts in the past and it's cost them in the NCAA tournament or it's cost them in the SEC tournament. Not last year, but it's cost them in the past. So I'm very curious to see how the shooting gets better uh, over the next couple of weeks. If they could figure it out, get the right rotation uh, coming off the bench, then it's a dangerous team, Chad. But if not, they're going to be at home on the second weekend of, of March if they don't figure this offense out. And Chad, like you said, like uh, avoid the upset in the tournament by finishing season strong to where you you're not pair, paired up with a, a seven seed or a you know an eleven seed that is uh, also slumping a bit, working their way in and then winning their way into the tournament yeah, as a bubble, and then they're on fire. It's going to be so much about matchups, but I I, I do think it, it sounds simplistic, but. Tennessee's got to have guys that just hit open shots. I mean, Zakai Ziegler going 0 for 7 from 3, you know, can't happen uh, like what happened on, on Saturday. And, and I've heard Rick Barnes say this before, Trey. You know, we don't want to run offense. We want to play offense. It's kind of the way they view it. You know, we, we run things defensively, and we're doing a lot of different things defensively in terms of what they stress. And he's talked about how it's hard to play offense because of the effort they're putting forth on defense – but I just don't, I don't see a team these last two games that look comfortable playing uh, offense, right? If, if we're going with what Rick Barnes is saying, yeah. and a big part yeah. of that is they got a five-star freshman, Julian Phillips, that's going to have to do something to take over games. At some point, he just doesn't look comfortable attempting to do that right now. He's got to turn into the monster that 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 they thought he was coming in, and, and I know it takes a minute to, to get going, and I get that, but... 
you when when folks lock down on Sakai, when folks lock down on Santi, or they get cold, you know, you're relying on Triple J, you know, to to get to the basket or to hit that 15 foot jumper. Um, every now and then, hit something behind the arc, and if you're not getting that from your your top three scores, okay, it gets in a situation where you need Julian Phillips to step up and be able to attack the rim or hit some mid range shots. And and right now, the Tennessee offense, I feel like, is still trying to navigate around those situations when it comes to Phillips. So he's going to be key down the stretch, just like Tyreek Key is going to be down the stretch. Like they need those two if they're going to make that deep run in March and, and maybe they get hot here over the next couple of weeks uh, before we get to the SEC tournament right there in Nashville. But as we sit here right now, you know, let's see what Tennessee does this week. Let's see what they do when it comes to Alabama and Kentucky. And then I got a feeling they can turn this thing around offensively, but it's going to take some work from all of them. Trey Wallace, outkick.com is where you can read his work on all things SEC and more. Trey, have a great week. Thank you for the time, and we'll catch up uh, next week post-Super Bowl. Hey, guys. Have a great Super Bowl week. I appreciate y'all. Thanks, yeah, Trey. Man. Again, Trey Wallace, Outkick SEC reporter. Read his work at Outkick.com. Chad, he mentioned the tournament coming up in Nashville for the SEC. That should be a good tournament based on the way we're seeing the conference right now. Yeah. Uh, just uh, for the conference tournament, I'm saying, not top-to-bottom conference play. Uh, the competitiveness is very good. Yeah, one one through six. If you're looking at those top four teams to get the double bye, yeah, it's Alabama at ten and zero, Tennessee and Texas A and M at eight and two, Auburn and Kentucky at seven and three, Florida right there at six and four. Then you've got Missouri and Arkansas at five and five. Arkansas is doing exactly what they did a year ago under Eric Musselman. Started out terrible. They were zero and three in the SEC and got hot. They Coming were together. one and five in the SEC and now they're five and five. So they are coming on again at the right time. It's going to be a fun tournament. Um, you know, there's a couple of really bad teams at the bottom of the conference, but outside of that, you've got a bunch of teams that could beat other ones that's coming to Nashville for that SEC tournament. Should be fun. Coming up in uh, about 10 minutes or so, Logan Ryan will join us, Super Bowl champ at corner, uh, former teammate of Tom Brady. He'll reflect on Brady's career, stories behind the scenes, and more. Uh, coming back, though, the intimidating saga of Ja Morant's entourage. Next, and now kick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Our kick 360 rolls on. Coming up in our number three, Mike Gunzelman, The Gun Show. Oh, The Gun Show. Column at Outkick about the, the acts, the Super Bowl halftime performers who have not performed yet that would be really good, who we would like to see. He's got the top five. We'll dive into that. Plus, Logan Ryan joins us to kick off the hour. First, though, the the saga of the John ja Moran entourage and going back to what happened uh, with the, the the Pacers game where uh, the NBA reportedly investigated Morant for threatening members of the Pacers after their, their game 
taunting personnel, flashing them with like a red laser, a red dot laser sight, which was believed to be attached to a gun. Yep. Craziness. You know, and this goes back to like our, our conversation with uh, Shannon Sharp and, and what happened with John Morant's father, T, on the, on the baseline in that game. You know, that, that seemed like good-natured, you know, trash talk at the time. And then fast forward a week, and this story pops. Yeah, who knew that Shannon Sharp was possibly in peril uh, with that crazy. based on this story. It's really bad. I don't want to make light of it because um, it does seem like John Morant, and maybe he's a part of this also, but I keep thinking about watching this Ravens documentary. There's a lot in there about Ray Lewis. Sure. And we know the story of Ray Lewis. Uh, he was with a group of people who stabbed and killed two people. And um, he turned on his friends in trial to not be prosecuted for, for what happened. Um, I, I don't want to be an extremist here, but this is where these things end up if it's not stopped. So if John Morant has, it's, if it's his dad or his brother or buddies he's hanging out with that's pointing a gun and a laser pointer at someone, then that's a problem. And it's going to end with something very, very bad happening that could not only end lives, uh, but end any chance John Morant has at a future career moving forward in the NBA. So he's going to have to remedy this problem yeah. one way or the other because this is a very alarming story coming out of the NBA. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the one of the unnamed coaches said that we felt like we were in quote-unquote grave danger. I mean, if you got a sight pointed on you, I would expect that would be the reaction. Um Look, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Because there's something new with this every week. Not necessarily with the, the Grizzlies Pacers story, but with Morant or his father, the entourage, everything involved in this. With There are more questions than there are answers. Um, where the NBA concluded that the altercation did occur um, with Morant and his group, but there was no proof that a weapon was actually there. You know, they... They didn't dispute the the laser, but you they couldn't prove that a weapon was there. Again, I'm with you, Chad. They've got to. There has to be further conversations behind the and scenes. I would hope there have been. And it's look, it's it's really hard to just break away from family, sure, or tell your dad and your brother or whoever else like you can't go to games anymore. You know, his brother's been kicked out of the arena in Memphis, so he can't go to games anymore there. But don't travel to road games to watch me play. You know, you're not a part of this anymore that that's going to be very tough I think we've reached the point of that when you combined the whole Shannon Sharp episode yeah. now with this I, I, I'm not in John Morant's ear but if I was if I was agent or advisor or whoever I'd say they don't need to be around you anymore unless it's on your terms away from your job this is your job you are paid highly to play NBA basketball they don't need to be at games they don't need to be causing disruptions doing this. You need to separate from them in that way. You're, I'm not saying disown your family, but when, right. in this part of it, it can't be a factor anymore for him. Can't be. Well, and it, it doesn't matter where he is in the pecking order of a roster. I don't want to come across this way. He's an MVP caliber player. Yes. You know that, that he's a true superstar. Yes, and uh, the the career that can be undermined by this is. I mean, it, it's sad to watch this. Like his response, his tweet was, did an investigation, seeing they were capping, uh, still let an article come out to paint this negative image on me and my family. Banned my brother from home games for a year. Unbelievable. Again, like it, 
he thinks that they're you know undermining he's being, him. He's not being the other persecuted. Way around. Yeah, craziness. Um, it's 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 going to be a problem, and that response is a huge issue. I think so. That's a huge issue, and if this is not going to go away, and I just pray that this does not end up like the Ray Lewis story in 1999 in Atlanta outside of a nightclub uh, with John Morant and his entourage. Coming up, we will uh, speak with Logan Ryan, Buccaneers Corner, former teammate of Brady, and uh, we hosted a show with him, the Logan Ryan Show. We did indeed. At one point. And it was a lot of fun. It was a blast. Uh, He's always uh, great with perspective and analysis. We'll get the breakdown from his uh, vantage point of both quarterbacks, wide receiving cores, and more. We'll also reflect on the career of Tom Brady and the relationship that they had uh, with each other as teammates for many years throughout their careers. And we will uh, also have Mike G, Mike Gunzelman, in studio with us here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hang with us. A lot more coming on Outkick 360. Hour 3 is next across the Outkick Network.